Accelerating careers in real estate with Nick Carman. So this evening, I'm sat with Moena Hall, Chief Operating Officer for Argent Related, former Project Director for the Heatherwick-designed Coldrops Yard. And in this episode, I'm really looking forward to listening to Moena share what equipped her for a meteoric rise from mechanical engineer to developer and now one of the key leaders for that developer itself. So Moena, do you mind winding the clock back a little bit and tell us a little bit about how it all began? So I'm an engineer by background, always had a passion for solving problems, basically. I loved maths and physics at school and I wanted to do something really practical, uh, not something really theoretical. I think that's something that's played out in the whole of my career. So I went off to do mechanical engineering so that I kept my options as broad as I possibly could. I didn't know which area of engineering I wanted to go into. And I loved my degree. And actually, Arup came and did a presentation about engineering in the built environment. And I realised that was something I could be really engaged with and also allowed me to move and live in big cities. Uh, you entered the industry having won the Sibsey Award for Graduate of the Year when you left Bristol. What was that like when you first joined? Does that give undue expectation on a 21-year-old, 22-year-old graduate? I think what I realised when I joined the industry having won that award was not that I was actually better placed to be doing my job than other people, but actually I had already honed my skills around presenting myself. So the big difference, the reason why I think I won that award, which was effectively a five-minute presentation to a room of about 300 people, was that I was the only one who didn't stand behind the lectern. I grabbed the microphone and I walked out onto the stage and I talked to people like I was having a conversation with each of them. I wasn't stood behind the lectern sort of reading an auto cue. And I also did it from memory and partly from heart as well. And I think that, I think that made a massive difference to the, to the content that I presented. Did that give us a clue into then the later life sort of when in terms of the confidence? Potentially gives an idea of the confidence. I mean, behind the confidence, I think there's also been quite a common theme in my career, which has been a little bit of imposter syndrome. And I th- don't think that's uncommon these days. It's about how you overcome it and how you kind of build up your confidence gradually and so that you kind of step into and own the space that you're kind of being put into. Okay, that leads me quite nicely onto something that came up when I was doing my research. So aside from winning the sort of graduate of the year, engineering's in your DNA, isn't it? <laughs> yes, engineering's in my DNA. I think you're referring to a uh, member of my family from a long time ago. So in the Brunel is in the family tree. That's correct. Yeah. Did you did you tell Arab at the time? I, it's not something I've ever made a big deal about until it happened to come out more recently, to be honest. I think because obviously I didn't know him, it wasn't a direct impact. I think actually what's had more of an impact in my life and my career is actually the engineers in my closer family. So my granddad was an engineer and also my dad, um, although he didn't go into engineering, he was more science and technology based. Those two people had a massive impact in me, sort of day-to-day practical things. Stories from my mum was that when I was little, I was always following my dad around the house when he was doing DIY, collecting up the wires from the electrical work he was doing or helping him solder pipes and that sort of stuff. So, yeah, that's that's kind of my technical background. So during that earliest part of your career, what do you think drove you at that time? What, what were you particularly looking for? 
Um, I've always been passionate about learning and filling my head full of knowledge. So I just absorbed like a sponge in the first bit of my career. I tried to spend as much time as with as many people as possible who would teach me effectively. And actually, Arab was a brilliant place for that. Lots of different technical specialists, as well as actually people really brilliant at more generalist management. And I just tried to take as much from all of those people as I possibly could. I think the other thing which maybe kind of set me up for my next move was the fact that I was quite lucky, maybe because of my thirst for level of engagement with people. But I went to a lot of client meetings right from the beginning and I spent a lot of time quizzing the decision makers in the room about what they were doing and why they were doing it. And I think I realized the more questions I asked, the more I wanted to get involved in the wider industry, which is what kind of probably what spurred me on from my move from Arup into uh, being a developer. Well, you've, you've primed us nicely, haven't you, too, as a, as a segue. Why don't you tell us a bit more about what that next move was? So I, I really loved working as a part of a team in delivering building design. But I think what I also realised was that I did have a genuine thirst to have more influence over the whole outcome. So I knew that the next move I wanted to make was to have a broader role, broader, broader decision-making role in the industry. I was very lucky in 2011, Argent were really kick-starting their development here at King's Cross and were looking for more development managers. And the DNA of the company at the time was to take people with specialist expertise and knowledge and having worked in processes, but clearly have a desire and aptitude to um, grow themselves more generally and be broader in skill set. And so I met quite a few of the team, including Roger, and was offered a role to come and try my hand at developing some of our projects here at King's Cross. How many people were in Argent at that time? I think there were about 40 to 45 people when I joined the organisation. And what do you think they saw in you at that time? I think they saw in me someone who wanted to know more, wanted to get involved, and also had a good understanding of my ability. So I knew when to put up my hand and say, can I have some help, please? I've never done this before. I'm not confident in this area. And also to be clear where I did feel I was quite comfortable or competent enough to be getting on with something myself. And I think in a small organisation with people who are sort of early to mid-career, those things are absolutely fundamentally important, that there's a good shared understanding between the individual and the business as to what the individual can do on their own and where they need support and guidance. So when you joined Argent, what was the ambition you know, what, what was what was going to be the goal that you thought was you know, you'd measure your success by? I think my goal at that point in time, having been a sort of smaller cog, if you like, in a bigger machine, was to successfully see a project through in terms of f- full ownership accountability from beginning to end, th- right through the development cycles. What were your biggest hurdles then in those early days? My biggest hurdles were, while I understood the kind of practical side of a development process in terms of design team. I had hardly any knowledge around appraisals, agreements for lease with tenants, even procurement processes really, and driving a contractor. So I understood quite thoroughly one piece of the pie, but actually I'd say the majority of the segments 
I was still learning. And that was a great opportunity for me. And I relished it. To anyone who feels like they're, they're in that situation right now, whereby they feel they've got a lot to learn, what advice would you give them? My advice would be to be patient with yourself in the first instance, because actually in the real estate industry, it does take a long time to have gone through a whole process. And so you have to be realistic about the timescale it takes to get through everything, if that's the ambition. And also to find yourself in an organisation that has a good support structure around you and invests in training and nurturing people um, from a technical perspective, but also from a leadership perspective, because not all roles naturally lead into these types of development roles where you are actually, as well as potentially leading an internal team, you're actually having to get the best out of a huge number of external individuals, which you need to get to a fantastic final product. So in the, in the research today for our interview, I had a, had a quick chat to a few of the people and I, I asked them a similar question about what they thought were some of your keys to success. Uh, I promised to keep it all sort of confidential. Uh, it was all very kind, I promise. And one of them was someone you worked with very, very closely in, the, in those early days. And he said the thing he remembers most about a young um, winner was that you set him a task that he hadn't been asked before, and that was to learn as much as you possibly could about King's Cross. And you said that you wanted then every meeting, you wanted to go to a different cafe each week to, to soak up as much as you could as the, as the local sort of geography. Um, and I thought that was really interesting, having the, not only the, the confidence to challenge the status quo that you know, every meeting was on site because it was the most expedient. Uh, I, thought, I thought it was really interesting. Did it work? Yes, it definitely worked. I know who you're talking about now. It did work and it was it was good because I think I think it's really important, especially as you're setting out in a relationship and getting to know someone, that actually you both try and do it in a learning environment. Or you're both being pushed a bit, actually, so that it's not just one person is completely on their own territory doing exactly what they want and you're the one that's having to make all the changes and all the move. It's quite nice to try and get a bit of a balance going on. Yeah. So I thought it was a very wise idea. So I've asked, I've asked you questions sometimes about you know, what, was, um, what were you looking for and how you wanted those early sort of years then to develop. Did you have a career plan? I've never had a career plan because I think if I had had one, I wouldn't be doing necessarily what I'm doing now because what I'm doing now has come through opportunity as opposed to uh, a plan that would have had a very kind of linear route to it. I think I am opportunistic and I think it does take quite a bit of confidence in a way to be that in that you have to be open and flexible and adaptable to what comes and not beat yourself up if things don't go as you had expected. But actually, I think by being that way and and allowing my mind to think like that, I've actually been able to take on greater responsibility and also challenge and create things which wouldn't have otherwise been suggested to me. What was the what was the first opportunity that arose when you joined Argent? When I joined Argent I was asked to do a few things one of which was to manage the fit out for Caravan who were coming here and it was their second ever restaurant and actually for a restaurant business that's a huge thing it's their second restaurant but actually it's doubling the size of their business and I realized I was actually being, in some respects, given 
more responsibility and given more trust than you could say someone was given, you know, being asked to deliver a £40 million building. Because actually I was going to be given the direct responsibility for the success of someone's business and their livelihood. And retail also is very different, I find, to delivering, say, commercial, where actually it's a lot of it's a pure business transaction. In retail, there's a lot of emotion and, and real personal investment involved. And so the opportunity for me was to show how I could work on behalf of the business, but to partner with external people and to create an amazing win-win situation where this business thrived at King's Cross, but also I delivered really commercial outcomes for Argent and for King's Cross. And so to anyone listening to this now who might be faced with a with a crossroads in their, their career or, or, their, or their plan if they did have one, because something, some sort of opportunities presented itself, have you got any advice to, to know when to seize it? Gosh, that is a really tricky question. I think it's down to to a lot of things. I think what I found really interesting, having had your questions and looked back on my career, is that on paper, the point at which you potentially kind of grab a slightly um, slightly scary scale of opportunity in your career, you'd think to yourself, oh, no, well, make sure everything's stable outside of work to give you a good base. Actually, when I've looked back on some of the biggest jumps I've made in my career, it's actually been the same time that I've been doing moves in my family or, or house moves and that sort of thing. And so I think it's about genuine appetite and bandwidth. And I think sometimes I've stretched myself too far sometimes, and it's been difficult to juggle everything. So I think the advice I'd give people about when it feels right to seize the opportunity is to push yourself a little bit further potentially than you feel comfortable. And if you can't do that, maybe get someone you know and trust to to give you that little bit of a push, but to be very careful that you don't change too many things altogether, because that can be quite destabilizing. Have you ever done it? Have you gone too far? Um, I think I went quite far in 2018. So I moved house. I was finishing off cold drops, um, including getting 60 retailers into the building. I was pregnant and I was doing my COO role. And I look back on that year and it does seem like a bit of a blur. I don't think I put myself too far because everything was generally successful. But I would also say I didn't do everything as well as I would have liked. I think I did everything okay, but I didn't do anything exceptionally well. And I think on reflection, maybe I did one, one thing too many. <laughs> Should have stuck at 59. <laughs> so I asked you before what was your first opportunity, but when, I, when I've been doing my, my research and looking back, surely one of your biggest was with the, the origins of Cold Drops Yard. What year was, when did that first come into sight? Well, I actually started Cold Drops, I think probably in 2012. Which... So 12 months into your Argent career? Less, I think. I, I mean, I started uh, started in the August of 2011. And I think um, pretty soon after I got going on cold drops. But actually, it was almost a false start, although a really important false start. So we did started doing some work that was completely in line with the outline planning permission. And we got probably f- three or four months into it. And I think we realised that none of us were excited and none of us were confident 
that we were going to get a great outcome. And actually, it was really important that we tested ourselves on that. Why was it important? It was really important because we would then potentially have otherwise spent the next few years and, you know, millions of pounds developing something that would not have had a long-term sustainable future and commercially would not have delivered for King's Cross. So it was really important that when our guts were telling us that this wasn't the right direction to be going in and it wasn't, we weren't feeling excited about it, that we stopped. And so we did, we stopped, we downed tools for quite a few months and we thought long and hard about what to do next. And that was where the incarnation of Cold Drops Yard that everyone sees now, that's where it came from. So nine months into your Argent career, you've now got nine months of development management experience under your your belt. And then someone comes along with a scheme like Cold Drops. Were you not petrified? There were loads of times with Cold Drops where I was quite intimidated by the scale of the decisions. I won't deny it. There were nights literally where I was awake. I remember one night, I was telling my colleague recently actually, where I was so concerned about the programme and had I really pushed us too hard trying to get an overlap between the fit out and the main contract finishing. And I was up in the middle of the night trying to understand the last date in in the calendar year where we could open a retail scheme and the retailers would still accept it. And I was looking at, you know, when did all these shopping centres open? And and basically I realised it was half term in October. So that next morning I went back to the programme and I pushed it out as far as I could till a weekend Saturday in October. And that became the new date that basically went into the board paper. And I can, if I'm talking, even talking about it now, I can still feel that sort of sense of fear almost. But actually it was good that I went through that process and thought about it and worked through it myself and then shared it with others and got them to agree with my decision because that was the date that five years later we you know I committed that we would deliver the scheme. And what did it what did a scheme like Cold Drops and it's and it's now it's reception what's that meant for you for you and your career? One of the things I love about development is getting to see people using the buildings and the spaces that you've created. So, you know, I was very emotional when Cold Drops opened, but what was even more lovely for me was that so many of the team were really emotional. There was a lot of tears, but actually a lot of the team had worked on that project for five years. So they were emotionally invested in it. And just like my career grew through through that project, so many of my colleagues in other organizations that contributed actually grew their personal careers on that project as well so for a lot of us it's been a once in a lifetime and I've made amazing friends lifelong friends um through Cold Drops Yard. So in 2018 um you've seeing out Cold Drops Yard and suddenly then you you take a different trajectory in your uh, in your career rather than taking on another development management or another big, another big project you take on a role as chief operating officer for Argent that's I'm curious what was what drove you at that time then to do to do a role such as that I think what was really interesting for me in 2018 is that the company had grown massively I think doubled in size over over a few years And also at that point in time, we were just starting to work on multiple projects. So we weren't a developer that was focused mainly on King's Cross. And when I'd come back from my first maternity leave, I realized that there was a need for 
someone to look at the business from a people perspective, but also in terms of helping us set ourselves up structurally to deliver on multiple projects. And what I wanted to do was to take my learning from Cold Drops Yard in terms of setting up a team, working with lots of different people, having to work on many different and sometimes quite contradictory work streams to help us be a really efficient but also thriving people business. So I've got to ask, you can tell you've got tremendous passion from the work where you've been hands-on with with schemes like Cold Drops and Caravan. But then to take on such a corporate role, that's a departure from, from something you've clearly been incredibly enthusiastic about doing up until this time you're right in some respects I think it's actually more of a natural progression of my career choices to date so I think the reason why the role was really appealing to me was again that sort of broadening of influence and decision making so through the COO role I've had even more opportunity to influence the business and how we deliver on multiple projects So I've got involved in HR and IT and governance and finance and lots of different things. And actually, I can, on a daily basis, hopefully, see the really positive impact I can make over a much wider set of things than if I were delivering a single build project again. And what's been your biggest hurdle then to date in this new role? My current biggest hurdle is that as a COO, it's very easy to become very inward looking. And obviously my priority is to uh, drive and support the teams delivering on projects here. But actually for me to be really valuable and do that in the best way and add as much value as I can, it's really important that I still reach out, know what others are doing, have connections in the industry. And I think it is quite a challenge to do both of those well. And so how receptive are your peers in, in other industries or other businesses to when the CEO of Argent rings them up and says, how do you tackle that problem? I think actually what I've found is that CEOs are very uh, welcoming because actually I think a lot of COOs are quite inquisitive in nature and like me are inclined to be problem solvers. And so actually people are always intrigued if you're giving them a call and saying, do you know what, what would you do about this? They're like, oh yes, please. I'd love to <laughs> love to give you some advice and get involved. And actually I find as well that sometimes people call me back a few months later and go, how did you get on with that? Because they're actually thirsty for the knowledge themselves and they can kind of use you to test uh, their theories on different things. It's a bit of quid pro quo then. Yes, definitely. Yeah. Okay. I mentioned at the start, then it, it, it's truly a meteoric rise then from where, where you began to where, where you are now in, in just 15 years. Has your ideas of success changed over that time? Yes, definitely. I've changed my concept of success. I think my version of success when I first started my career was sort of doing one thing exceptionally well. And I guess at the point in my career, that was sort of what I was targeted with doing. That was my sort of job remit. I think what I've aimed to do now from a success perspective is to do lots of things and to do them to my best of my ability, but also to realise that actually doing everything absolutely perfectly means not succeeding um, holistically. And so my version of success now is to curb my inner perfectionist self and to be comfortable at the end of the day that I've done a really great job, but not a perfect job. 
so at the very, very start of this um, episode, you explained about sort of Argent's culture, about bringing people in who were, relatively speaking, very, very green and giving them a tremendous amount of responsibility. And I, th- and I think that from my perspective, I think you're, you re- still remain to be very, very unique in, in doing that. How have you been able to make that work where, where others either might not have been able to make it work or others have been perturbed by the two bigger risks that might face? I think it is it is always a balance. And I think it's a balance that we've struck well over time. And I'll be honest, it has changed over time. So we don't recruit in quite the same way now as we did back then, but the business has moved on as well. But what I still think we do really well is have honest conversations with people about what it is that they want to try and achieve, where they are now and what the difference is and how we can support them to get there. And it does take time and energy in the business and it takes expertise as well, actually, for people to be willing to share their knowledge and not to sort of keep it to themselves. And I think that has to be a cultural thing. And what we're looking to do now as a business is to not only try and do that sort of on an individual level, but actually to do it across projects. So, you know, we're working on four or five projects now and the uh, skill for us is making sure that we're sharing and developing across those projects and we're learning from each other so what we're trying what we've trying to do now is almost take the skill that we had around nurturing people and actually keep doing that but nurture teams across the business as well and that's really exciting for me so to anyone listening to this now who may have something like sort of five or six years under their belt in their career and might be considering a move in their career possibly their their first role to a developer what piece of advice would you give to them My advice would be to share, just share continuously, keep talking, keep open communication. I think it's really tempting when you start a new job or if you're taking a sort of uh, a promotion or something within an organisation to feel like you have to go and demonstrate and prove yourself all on your own. But actually, that's really counterproductive quite often because by going and shutting yourself off, the people around you don't know how you're getting on they don't know how they can help you and actually it can almost sometimes make them want to be more on top of you so my advice is always keep talking tell people where you're at tell people where you need support where you feel you can just run with something yourself and actually you'll have a really fantastic relationship with the people around you they'll trust you they'll give you room they'll give you autonomy and you'll thrive as a result You've been really, really candid with me today about when it, things haven't gone always to plan or when it's been difficult. And so I, I wanted to ask you, where do you go looking for help? I always search for a mixture of colleague support and home support. I think both important for me. I think colleague support is really important because actually those are the individuals that truly understand the challenge, whether that be a technical challenge or, quite frankly, people you're working with. And I love getting support from my friends and family because they bring me back down to earth and they give me a sense of perspective. And I think that's really important sometimes. Also, real estate is such a long game. And sometimes I find it so fascinating talking to my friends who work in advertising or other things where it's really fast paced and they're on something all the time. And I think it's um, good to step back and think, actually, what is important what should I be aiming for? And sometimes as well, only people from outside the industry can really make you think like that. 
So Morgan, I, th- I think you've demonstrated clear ambition for, it might not have always been been a plan, but chance to seize the opportunities when when they've arose. I've got to ask, I'm really curious, you know, what, what do you see as being the next step then in your career? I think the next step in my career is delivering amazing transformational change through regeneration and through projects right from the beginning. I've loved my time working on King's Cross, but I joined the journey part of the way through. I think the thing that's absolutely getting me out of bed every day at the moment is the amazing challenge and opportunity ahead on Brent Cross. And I am so fortunate, along with colleagues, to be right from the beginning. So during your career, what do you think has given you the greatest opportunity for growth? I think the periods of greatest growth for me, greatest personal growth, and probably technical growth, have actually been associated with working for a new leader, new leader to me. I think that period of time where you get to learn from someone and learn how to work with them is really important to how you grow and flex and adapt your own style. And I think then you kind of get into a period of kind of consolidation with that individual and you you learn how to maximise that relationship, but the growth isn't as quick. And so the various periods of my growth, I think, are associated with working with brilliant people and learning from them. And do you think that's because you know, they, you've got to prove yourself? You've got to set the, the pace for maybe how they perceive you because they, aren't, they are new? I think it's less driven by that. I think it's that great leaders give you space and room and nurture you on. And that's what I've had in my career. I've been privileged to have that. And so, it's, yes, it's give and take. So, yes, I, you know, obviously I've pushed myself, but actually I think it's about the individuals pulling you with them. And so now as a, as a leader of Argent, what, what, are those, what traits have you, do you most like to replicate? I think there are so many traits that make an all-round fantastic leader, which I could never aspire to have all of. But I think being passionate and setting out the purpose of why you're doing things is really important to give people that fire in their belly to want to learn and want to grow and want to deliver. And I hope that's something that I've done on my projects, which have made sort of really emotionally connected teams with each other and with the project. And hopefully now I'm doing more on a business level. Mwena, thank you so much for giving up your time. No doubt our audience will enjoy this just as much as I have as well. This podcast was brought to you by McDonald & Company, the leading real estate recruiter. To discuss any matters with Nick Carman, please contact him via the email address in your show notes. And don't forget to subscribe to receive the latest episode as it's released.